dirty all out again, huh? It's the moment of reckoning for some of you if you're listening to this as the podcast drops on a Monday morning in August. Uh, it's not the first Monday morning in August, but it's not the second Monday morning in August. And for some of you, it's going to be the first day back after your long, long Swedish Scandinavian vacation of three or four or maybe five or maybe six weeks. Some of you will be still lying in the hammock there going, I still have another week to go. Don't ruin it yet, Phil. Don't ruin it yet. I still have another week to go. But we're getting to that point now where slowly but surely we're getting back to work. I hope the summer has been kind to you and to yours. I hope you've been able to be outdoors and enjoyed uh, a bit of overdone barbecued meat and a bit of overpriced uh, cava or whatever it is. is uh, Aperol spritz, I believe, is very popular there for a little while. Don't know. Don't deal with these things myself. I hope you've had a great time. I hope you've um, had some chance to relax over the summer and enjoy the best that being Irish in Sweden or part of the Swedish-Irish community has to offer. not going to get too excited just yet. There's great things coming up in the coming weeks. On the 27th of August, there's going to be a Gaelic football tournament here in Stockholm. Uh, so it'll be a good chance to get out now and sort of round off the summer in style with a bit of football out at Scalpnex E-Pair. But we will talk about that more uh, it's been a quiet enough season now. There's only been one tournament really so far down in uh, in Copenhagen at the start of the season. So it's been quite in the Gaelic football front, but all these things are bouncing back now after the pandemic. There's a bumper L show lined up um, for you today. We've gone back to the format of like one long interview with a fascinating character who I'll tell you more about shortly. But in the meantime, there's been very little in the way of holidays at the embassy, it would seem, because there's been an awful lot going on. Uh, there's, they're taking part in the Pride Parade by the time you hear this they will have taken part in Pride in Stockholm on Saturday uh, August 6th I think it is is when the Pride Parade took place here in Stockholm and the Irish Embassy has been there well represented and a decision has been taken to support these things around the world where possible and needless to say if you know me at all you'll know that I'm delighted that they're getting behind that um, in particular I saw a tweet where not only did you have like the standard Pride flag but you also had a trans Pride flag in there as well which is nice to see because you'll hear a lot of stuff about trans people in the media at the moment they're not to be afraid of right they're not coming for you lads nobody's going to make you change your gender identity or that and um, trans people are getting an awful hard time so it's it's worth sort of thinking about why that's happening and to show them your support when they can because like I say it's very very few people involved you'll hear a lot about it in sport as well and if you go back over the podcast on the Airman in Stockholm feed I've given a few trans people not least in sport a chance to explain what the situation is so it's uh, if you don't know a whole lot about it or whatever it's well worth listening to I learned a lot from it when I was doing it myself so that's being done but there's also been um a little bit of information this week that came out against uh, about the birth information and tracing bill in Ireland, right? Now, I won't need to explain to many people listening to this podcast what an absolute disaster the Irish Free State has been since its inception in terms of how it's looked after children, how it's looked after vulnerable people in the history of the state. But efforts are being made uh, to right those particular wrongs and my god was there ever some grievous wrongs involved in that right so there's been a system set up and there's a public information campaign now underway around Ireland to tell citizens about this it's called the birth information tracing bill and the idea is that it's to give you a full and clear right of access to birth certificates not only birth certificates but also to information about the early lives of people who were adopted who were boarded out who were fostered uh, who 
may have been registered illegally or who have any questions whatsoever about how they were born, where they were born, where they lived the early part of their lives, right? Now, you may think that, well, that doesn't apply to me, but it might. And it might apply to somebody you know. It might apply to a relative. It might apply to an uncle or an aunt. It may even, in some cases, apply to a parent of yours or a sister or a brother, right? So this situation is is being sort of, you know, uh, brought to the fore at the moment so that people can find out about these things. I mean, Jesus, we talk about it enough on this podcast, lads, about where we come from and who we are and who we see ourselves as being. But how can you do that if you don't know where you've come from? How can you do that if you don't know the full story of your family and your family members? I do believe, I didn't follow the debate all that closely, I do believe that there was a lot of people who weren't really happy. They reckoned this legislation in Ireland didn't really go far enough Um. And that's fine, you know, anybody who wants to come on to talk about that can do so and what the flaws in that are. But there is a place that you can go now where you can start the process of finding out either about the early part of your own life or that of of families, right? If you go to birthinfo.ie, B-I-R-T-H-I-N-F-O dot I-E, there's a section called What Options Do I Have? And that will allow you to choose whether you're an adopted adult, an adopted child, a person whose birth is legally registered, somebody who was resident in an institution. You'll have heard of the Magdalene Laundries, one of them, the latest one of them was closed. I think it was in Hyde Park and Grace Park in Dublin. Uh, I was in my 20s. I was like 23 or 24 when that closed. So this is nothing, this is not in the dim and distant past. This is a recent memory for many people. Um, so if you're a resident of that kind of institution, if you're fostered or boarded or nursed out, you can find information there. If you're the daughter or the son or you're next to kin of, of people, or if you're a relative, any sort of a relative of anybody who might have been covered by the above, a person maybe who was relevant or sorry, resident in one of those homes. So you can go in there. You can can apply for birth records, early life records, medical records, that kind of thing. You can trace birth relatives. And that, I think, was the sensitive part of it, that some people want to get in contact with people, some people don't want to be contacted at all. And that was a sensitive part of the debate around this legislation. So I'm not sure. It could apply to one person listening to this. It could apply to 10 person, to people listening to this. I do think it applies to a lot more of us than what we might expect at, at first glance. So have a think about it. If it's something that you're wondering about, if there's a relative you're wondering about, if it's a parent or that kind of thing, and you feel this is something for me to do, this is something I've wanted to do, this is something I've waited for, birthinfo.ie, what options do I have, is the place you want to go, birthinfo.ie. And you'll be able to go in there and you'll be able to, to find out a little bit more. You won't find, the, like, it's not like they're going to deliver your entire history to you seconds afterwards, right? It's a part of a process. But you can make yourself part of the process. You can start that process of finding out about early years, finding out about family. Because a major part of the healing in these things, of the damage that's been done to people by being moved around, just the simple damage of not being able to be with, with your own family, uh, in the early part of your life it's a, it's a huge but you know that knowledge you know knowledge is, is power knowing how that happened if not necessarily why can be a very powerful and a very very healing thing and lastly don't do this on your own right be aware of the fact that you may discover things that you may not want to have discovered right you, so be prepared for that have your sort of networks prepared for that try to talk to people around it maybe professional people maybe psychologists or psychiatrists or that who can advise you uh, and who can be ready for the eventual fallout of this because not everybody reacts the same way some people are delighted to find out some people are delighted to make contact with a birth parent some people don't want to do that some people get rejected all over again so be aware of the consequences of, of doing anything like this and get struck in and as a last port of call 
all if you want to send a message to me or to this podcast and, and i'll help you in any way you can if you're going to get involved in it i'll try to support you as best i can but it's out there for you now and i know the embassy will appreciate me bringing it up and putting it out there for you so um that's there, birthinfo.ie. Now, before we get into the interview with Mark O'Sullivan, proud Corkman, uh, musician, creator, soccer coach, teacher, guru, learn, I don't know what you want to call him, right? But just as I say earlier in the interview, it's like peeling an onion. There's more levels to this guy than fucking Super Mario. But um, before I do that, right, this is short notice, I know, but put up with me here. Um, for the Stockholm Gales, and anybody who's involved in the Stockholm Gales, and anybody who lives in Stockholm, right, every year there's a thing called Midnight Sloppet the midnight run in Stockholm and every year the club is asked to provide stewards and we've been asked to provide 40 people for it now, they don't have to be members of the Stockholm Gales it can be anybody in the Swedish Irish community anybody at all right once we get bodies and put them out there in the course as stewards the club gets paid 350 crowns right so if you're listening to this and you're in Stockholm and you have between 6 p.m. and sort of midnight free on Saturday the 13th of April right get in touch tell me your t-shirt size and come along and do this right it's things like this mean that we don't have to go to our own community and ask for money for our football clubs and our Gaelic football clubs so if you can give us that time you don't have to give us your money right and it's a huge help right so if you think to yourself right 350 crowns times 10 is 3,500 40 people that's 14,000 crowns that can be spent by the Gaelic football club and the Stockholm Gales soccer club on providing an outlet for people to play sport and providing that social network that we all talk about right so if you have that few hours over if you're in Stockholm get in touch with me send me a message with your name right usually what happens is we go out in the course and we're ta- our task, if you like, is to keep people safe. So it's to make sure that residents on Sölda can cross the street. You know, we move, we have these sort of sluices where, you know, people run on one side and we help them cross on the other and that kind of thing. I've done it for a few years. There's still a few people around who've been doing it for a few years. So I'm begging you to get out because, like, at the moment, I'd say we probably have maybe eight or ten people. And that's not going to cut it. And if we let them down, they're not going to come back to us, right? So consider this, if you're living in Stockholm, as like a tap of free money that's turned on once a year for the Stockholm Gale. But the moment we don't deliver 40 people, that tap gets turned off. They won't be able to trust us to provide the people we need anymore, and they're not going to be back again, right? So I really, really need the Swedish-Irish community. And Sophie Murphy, if you're listening to this, I need you. I need your pals. I need you on Instagram telling everybody in the Swedish-Irish community that we need to get people out there to do this, right? So I'll I'll be doing it. I've made other plans. I'm supposed to work that day. I've cancelled all that just so that I can be part of it myself. And I'm hoping that anybody who's listening to this will get in touch, you know. So uh, hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on LinkedIn or Facebook whoever you choose to get in contact with me you know where to find me by now leave a comment under this post on social media uh, and we'll get it done right but as many as possible right and if you have a mate in town if you have a girlfriend you're supposed to be going to uh, the pictures or a boyfriend that night right skip it you can go the following week or go on Sunday Sunday's but it might be very hot on Sunday afternoon you might some need somewhere to hide out and protect that Irish skin in the dark do that instead right come out with us on a Saturday night and luckily joyously we have been known to go for a drink afterwards right so you can go somewhere and saw that loads of great pubs around there and go have a drink have a bit of crack but get in touch get out there and please support the clubs in Stockholm if you can and if you're doing that in similar in Luleå and Gothenburg get in touch with me and I'd be more than happy to put a call out to the Irish community all over Sweden for whatever support you need for your sporting organisations right that's enough of him talking absolute waffle now Jesus 12 minutes in and we haven't even got to the interview and if you thought that was waffle wait till you hear what's coming next uh, I visited Mark O'Sullivan on Stora Essingen uh, I've known Mark for it seems like I've known Mark for longer than I haven't known him 
Um, he's hugely into soccer and that kind of thing. Played back in Ireland, hugely into music, and just a fascinating character. And he's one of those people as well. You know, if you follow him on social media at all, you can see that he he can be mildly opinionated, like me good self. But in fact, he puts me in a hapney place. But I decided I was going to sit down with him one because I knew we'd be able to talk for ages about stuff that you're going to find interesting. But two, because what he says is fascinating, right? Every time I speak to the bloke, I come away with more questions than answers, right? So he's not the kind of guy who'll say, this is what I think and you should think the same thing. He's the kind of guy who will say, "Go, you need to think about this some more. This is what I've done. This is what I've seen. You need to think about this some more, right? So he, he's not the kind of person that comes, I have all the answers and everybody else is wrong. It sometimes comes across that way in social media, but it's actually the opposite. And you'll hear that now as we go into it. it during the interview, I'm going to drop in uh, a couple of bits, just a few, so you know, 20, 25 seconds of tracks that he made, just to give a little bit of context to the music he was making in the early 2000s. But this is... Uh, and we sit down with Mark O'Sullivan from Cork about music and creativity and football and teaching and ultimately about being the best version of ourselves. Right, we're good to go. You can put the phone down now. You're going to be exciting the poor people of the Swedish... Or the Swedish... I can't even speak anymore. The Irish in Sweden podcast is what the fucking thing is called. It's driven mad altogether. In, 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 inventive name. It was, yes. Yeah, stayed up all night to get that. Yeah, yeah, it, it was exactly what it says on the tin, as they say in the marketing world. Well, one of your better moments? One of few. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the good people who are listening where we are, Mac. Uh, we're in a, a cafe here on the square in Storessingen. I'm going to move this microphone over uh, since you're actually speaking. Here in the square in Storessingen in, um, in Stockholm in Sweden. And how did you end up living in Storessingen of all places? Well, we should start with maybe how I lived up, end up living in Sweden. Here, I'll ask the questions, right? <laughs> 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 all right, come on. We'll do it your way forward. Fair oh, no, no. Well, I, I, I lived in Hornstull for 10 years. Um, uh, but then... Um, I just I I um, met someone and uh, we moved here and had children, as you do, as as, as people tend to do in the evolution of the species. <laughs> so you moved over here. Um, when you came over here, because this is one of these things, this shouldn't actually be, this should be a series of interviews with you, right? But we're going to try to squeeze it all into the next 45 minutes or an hour. Um, it is uh, important to get into how you got here. So was it the music that brought it here? Was it the football? Was it the love? Um, neither. None of, none of the above, sir. Um, I came here in 94 to visit some friends I studied with in university. For some reason, I studied economics and computer science in university in Cork. Um, and I'd met some Swedish people while I was there and I came on various, they lived in various parts of Sweden and I spent a bit of time in, in Uppsala uh, staying and I was actually a chronic asthmatic at the time and uh, for some absolutely unknown reason, I still have no idea, after about two weeks here my, I wasn't using my inhaler anymore mm. and I still haven't used my inhaler since 1994 so yeah I decided to stay for six weeks, six months, and I'm still here. So that was the reason. There's no, there was no, there was no great plan. It's, it's a little bit random, right? So you come over here for six weeks and you go to Uppsala and you're hanging out with a few people that you know were down at UCC or down at University in Cork mm. with you. Mm. And then all of a sudden, 
like for most people who move here it's very much a planned right on this date I'm going over there I have this job I have this apartment yeah. so what did a fella from Cork with a degree in economics and computer science in this country like where did you go looking for work in that country to begin with well uh, because I come from um like uh, growing up in my family particularly from my father I developed I I was introduced to a lot of sport and a lot of music so music was very much part of my family at home so um I had been in bands and I'd played football to I played a few games at the top level in Ireland and then played in the university teams uh, when I went to university but I always played music and I played in bands and ran the live music society in our in um UCC as well so so music and sport have always been part of my life so when I came over I had a friend who ran a, a bar and a restaurant in Uppsala and he just said do you want to you know if you want to make some money while you're here you can do some gigs so then I started doing other gigs and you know you end up playing in loads of pubs everywhere and I just at first I said hang on a minute if there was a plan it was okay I have a guitar I can get to see most of Scandinavia here which I never thought of ever you know I mm. thought I'd never in my life would I go to Norway and Finland and Denmark and see these places yeah. and I just took it as a great opportunity to visit these places and um, yeah I just played some you know played a bit of songs and music because I uh, while I was at university in Cork I actually to help cover the cost of being there at the at the time I um, did a lot of busking street music yeah. to, to cover to cover the uh, costs so I had quite a a broad repertoire, as you, repertoire. As, you, as you tend to have to have when you're uh, busking. So, yeah, I just basically did my busking repertoire in all these bars and restaurants all over. And I got to, it was great. I, I got to travel a lot and I, re- I got to see, you know, visit places I'd never thought I would be, like mm. Yelavada. <laughs> you know, so, you only go there once. Yeah, don't you? I know, yeah. I, I always remember I was there in the summer and I went for a walk and uh, I was nearly attacked by a giant dragonfly in the middle of the summer. I've never seen a dragonfly so big in my life. You know, everything just explodes there. I was like, what is that? It was yeah. like something from Jurassic Park, actually. It was like. So I believe Ryanair bought it. <laughs> yeah, Ryanair bought it, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but when you did that, because you're a little bit different from people, like we've had Brian O'Connor on this podcast before mm-hmm. and Ian Maloney down in Gothenburg. They came over with the idea of being musicians, and you just sort of slid in there. But you were also, you were never one of those sort of diddly eye, I'm going to play the Irish no. Because when I sat down with you to play music, when I rang you last night, you were playing an Andy Williams song on the guitar. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I remember that. You rang, and I was, uh, I was sitting on my balcony, and just uh, kids were playing video games and reading books or whatever. And I said, sit in the balcony. And, and that tune came into my head. Do you remember I bought it when the beat? released I think it was right, the yeah, 80s, I can't yeah. get used to losing you I can't get used to losing you and I remember it was the Andy Williams of the original I just thought oh, that's a nice little tune and figured it out and just started playing it you know and I still do that to this day it's it's, it's great you know and I think it's nice particularly when you have kids because that's I remember from my father that he just played a bit of music and we're there milling around mm. not so much listening or, or just paying attention f- it's, it's, yeah it's, it's more it's part of the it's in the water yeah, you know yeah. so I kind of think that it's kind of good probably for my kids that you know if I'm if I like playing a bit of guitar having it in the background they don't have to listen but it's it's there mm. it's 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 you it's don't in, force it on them like it's you just, don't force it's, it on them the but ether, you know? they are interested now it's mm. really nice you know but you don't force anything so yeah so but I, I think was it, I, I've always been interested in being creative in what I do whatever sport or, or music and I I guess coming away from Ireland because in Ireland I I was lucky to play with what I can consider musicians that were infinitely more talented as musicians than I am mm. but I soon started to realize that you know just 
being a good musician doesn't mean you're a good creative artist, somebody who can make music, mm. great music, you out know, of nothing, yeah. out, of, yeah, out of nothing. And so I, I bought some equipment and I was very much into reggae and electronic music and kind of the early hip hop and, you know, like I said, house, the electronic stuff as well. And I started figuring out how could I make this music. I bought some equipment, an old MPC 2000, hooked up an analog studio together, and I was able to kind of make interesting sounds, just say, with my acoustic guitar, put it through a sampler, massive effects, throwing, you know, and build my own library of sounds. And I started making music, and then uh, I started releasing records as well. I started a record label, um, and I, I think it was 1999, there was an electronic band called Leftfield were on P2, mm. P3. Caledernal's P3 dance and they said yeah this is one of our favourite records of the year and they were doing their top 10 records of the year and they played a track I released under the name The Mighty Quark called Smokescreen and then Caledernal's gone no that's my neighbour he lives, what? No, he lives in London. We can't find him. We've been looking for him for six months mm. to remix our next single. And I'm like, and Leftfield, one of my favourite bands at the time, you know. They were also fucking huge. They were huge. So, so there I am. And next, next day, they're going, oh, what? Okay. So they ring me the next day. And, okay, we'll, will you remix the next single? And then I remix that. And suddenly that came out. And, you know, and you get gigs. And then you start releasing in other labels. And, yeah, it kind of... And then you travel the world and elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, let's not just gloss over that <laughs> yeah. part, right? So when you started doing those things, like because it did, it was sort of, you know, kind of like when you moved over here and you were here for six weeks and then all of a sudden your life changed. And then you did, like that remix sort of changed things as well. Yeah, and that just came out of nowhere because I, I released this. It's on, I decided to release it on 10-inch, not 12-inch or 7-inch. I'm from Cork. I thought I'd be a bit awkward. No way. <laughs> so, so I released it on 10-inch and... It kind of went well, you know, it was like, it was DJs like Andy Weatherall playing it and and then so I released another one and that went well and, and then you get this remix and then some other people and and I met up with um, Andy Bell who moved over here from um, Ride, yeah. Hurricane Number 1 and he joined Oasis at the time so we started making music together and we released records on vinyl together, I actually released under the name... Um, Bacuzzi. So let's bring it all back to football, shall we? Good Lord. So, so I, but Dave Bacuzzi was, a, as a seven-year-old, I used to go up, up the, at the top of my road if my father couldn't take me to the football grounds Flower Lodge where the mighty Cork Hibernians played. Good Lord. You'd, you'd go up the road and if your dad was working or was away, you'd go up the road and some old fella would lift you over the turnstile to get in for free. And it used to be like 15,000, 20,000 at these games. And Dave Bacuzzi was the captain. So he kind of became a hero of mine. Yeah. So I just, I made this record and Andy Bell plays in a few tracks of a few other musicians and and I called it because he so I called the album Flower Lodge after the football after the football ground. <laughs> so kind of kept it in and the picture on the album cover is me as a seven year old in the Cork Hibernian's gear dressed basically as Dave Picuzzi <laughs> I know yeah 
<laughs> and it's amazing. Like, the, the, is this sounding all random already? No, no, but it, like, it's just a, something like that would resonate around the world. And it says so much about who you are in terms of, you know, this bridge between music and football. What kind of music was it, Mark? Now, I'm going to try to find it, like, but sometimes okay. Spotify will sort of take it out because, oh, no, you know, somebody owns that. The fact that I'm sitting there with the person who made it doesn't make any difference then. Well, what sort of music was on that album? Was that electronic music? Very electronic, but a lot of reggae and dub influences, a lot of Could house you dance with, like? You could, yeah, and you could, like, this track Sunday's Child with Andy Bell and bass and his then wife, Ida, who was signed to Creation Records on vocal. I mean, that became one of the most licensed tracks I've ever made, and that was made in my kitchen, <laughs> you know. And so, but that was a real chill-out track. So at the time, it was kind of, I, I didn't even know there was chill-out albums, but then suddenly all these people were doing chill-out albums and were licensing the track, so I, I could live off the track for about a year and a half, <laughs> you know. Amazing. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's uh, I, I like too much music, you know, I like, I can listen to classical, I'm a big jazz fan, I like reggae, dub, house, electronica, hip-hop, even this great country western, you know, Hank Williams, you know, mm. stuff like I brought from my father of Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, so I have a broad appreciation for music, I guess, you know, either music is just, it's so subjective, and, mm. you know, you can't say, I don't like house what do you mean you don't like house? You, know, yeah, you don't want br- all of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, so, a lot of, I, I, and I started really experimenting with a lot of vocals in this Bikazi project. The, the Mighty Quark was mainly instrumental. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was really good. We got to go and play live both as Bikazi and the Mighty Quark in Tokyo, around Canada, all over Europe. So that was really good. Mm. And then in, another accident happened in 2003. I, myself and a friend of mine, Jesper Dolbeck, started making music he was an incredibly brilliant house producer mm. from sweden and he was my neighbor that's how we met and we started making uh, we you had this you making your previous hits in the kitchen yeah. Like, oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and he was making hits in a proper studio and we started making music together and this became dk7 you try you try top 20 UK dance hit singles in around 2004, I think, 2005. Before, yeah, so we signed to a record label, the same label as LCD Sound System, and we started, you know, we played a lot of festivals. What's your, what's your life like, Denmark, in terms of, you obviously don't have to work, so there's a few quid tip, tipping in. You right? do work. Well, yeah, yeah, well, you, know, you don't have to work like a proper job where you, you get out of bed, like, you know, before lunchtime and that, you know. But is there, like, decent money to be made when you license a song to yeah. a chill out? There album? was at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could make a good living. And the, when you were, when you have these records that are out and you're playing, you're playing, you're headlining Ross Kilda, Dance Tent, you're doing Hulse Fred, you're doing Benny Kassim in Valencia, the panorama or Berghain in Berlin. I mean, you get pay. It's good pay. It's it good is. I mean, yeah. it really is. Like, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, and it was very much. A, I guess, I think it was just basically the, the tipping point when, 
I guess, which I do support downloading because, you know, people say, oh, it's horrible the way people just download your music for free. And I just say, I don't care really because, you know, look at those contracts that artists were on before that. It was just basically slave contracts mm. issued by record companies. And then, like, MTV never paid one penny royalty to anyone because they're a registered ab advertising company. Yeah. So I don't really you know you just accept it it's that's the way it goes and you know of course it it really affected me financially but um mm. i didn't really um i didn't really mind you know it, it didn't sort of bother you that much but during that time, like i mean it is that thing of when eventually when that well dries up or when the the tap has turned off so to speak when it comes to like, like you know you had a big gig you might get ten thousand twenty thousand for djing somewhere at a festival or that kind of thing and then all of a sudden that's source of revenue was gone you know the big royalties yeah. are gone because people aren't producing chill out cds that you know you'd have in your x yeah and, and the gigs weren't there but but also also yeah the, and you know some of the sometimes some of the gigs i guess were drying up and uh, the market was changing but there was a lot of other stuff happening um so deep <laughs> in this music thing i mean i think uh, under underneath all this bubbling underneath all this was um i was still involved in sport mm. so uh, with some friends i started a football club i helped start a full football club i was just a lazy guy that played football they, they, they ran it long holman football club so we, I, I was involved at the start of that um really it's amazing it's with marty mccarthy and pete skinner who were still running the club mm. and uh Pete's a bit of a football legend as well, isn't he? Well, yeah. Well, Murty is. Murty's Murty's the ex drummer in the Sutton's Ping. He's that's, a re he's a real true. rock star. Mm. He's off touring with uh, Smile, Tom Tom York's band at the moment. All oh, right. Yeah. So, so I've we actually been, been meaning to get Murty onto this podcast, but we'll get to him. He's fascinating. Well, when you started that club, <clears throat> because you're touring the world, you're going off, you're doing festivals, and Murty's over here. He'd moved over here. I think he did a piece for the Cork Examiner, or yeah. it's not called the Cork, it's called the Irish Examiner now, about the lockdown over here. But did did you just, right, we want to play football and we'd like to play football together, so let's start a team. Yeah, we kind of did a kind of, I guess, uh, it began as just some friends, some, and it, what was really nice, it was a mixture of Swedes and expats, We'll say if we say expats now, meaning just the I, Irish I call them immigrants, but we'll immigrants, <laughs> immigrants. <laughs> yeah, it was Irish, English, we had Dutch, we had Brazilian, we had everywhere like a spanish kid you know people french and we just got we just kind of met up there and just some of them were teaching and um uh, we do we say we're going to say learning swedish and uh, you know and uh, what's it called sef i never went to sfe sfe i never went to it you see swedish for irish people yeah so so they were there and they'd bring growl come along this guy's played football in france at a good level bring him along and suddenly we just had We'd meet up every Saturday, be about thirty people or twenty people, and we said, "Okay, let's let's see if we can enter league next year." And we did that, and the club built from there. It was very organic. There was no great plan. We, <clears throat> I don't think any of us really had enough knew what we were doing. I always remember the first ever game. Our goalkeeper at the time, who I won't name him, turned up and forgot his goalkeeping gloves. He said, I'll go and get some. Went off to a local gardening centre, came back with gardening gloves, and he played the whole game of goal and gardening gloves. <laughs> that is just about the most long-haul story <laughs> yeah, I've ever that was, heard. That was brilliant. Did it you was, win? You always remember. We drew 1-1. One, one. Well done. Did but, you score? Uh, no? Me? No, I didn't. I didn't score. I didn't score in that game. I think we drew 1-1. One, one. Yeah, I think yeah, it was 1-1. One, one. But it was, it was good fun, you know. And 
and yeah so what, 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 what did that when you started that club because <clears throat> you and I have a lot of sort of shared experiences we can have a lot of different ones as well but I started Stockholm Gales with Colin Courtney a few others you started Long Home with somebody else when you were starting that did you realise that this is one of those routes that's kind of going to keep me here um, yeah I, I mean also what's important is I was also very aware because I spoke quite good Swedish, you know, at a, even uh, at an early for a Cork person, for a Cork yeah. person, or live, you know, living here, I was determined that I also didn't want to make it. I, I didn't want to be identified by it. You know what I mean? You don't want. I didn't. I never felt the person that wants to be identified by an Irish pub or an Irish mm. expat team. I just, you know, I wanted to be. It was just something that enriched my life. Yeah. You know, not to be. You know, if you go abroad, I was just always afraid that I would just you know you get stuck in one group and yeah. you identify around that and then you, you don't step outside group and I, I wanted to experience as much of Swedish life and culture and Scandinavian culture as much as possible so mm. I was already play, getting that through playing in you know really nice venues here in Stockholm and yeah, around yeah. Sweden so in uh, with, with electronic music so most of my friends in that area would have been Swedish yeah, and then I had this club. So it was just—it was just something to enrich your life, as mm. opposed to so, as, as a crutch to mm. keep you here and hold you here. I mean, if it disappeared in the morning at any time, it wouldn't have changed me. Like I would, I would have yeah. missed it, but it wouldn't have meant that I'd have to leave Sweden and all this. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd have no friend. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, it wasn't if the something is put, yeah, if, if the, <laughs> the the carpet's pulled under you from the, mm. that. So I, I, it was something that really enriched my life, yeah. as, as did other things. You know, other experiences. So. Mm. Yeah, I, I I just try to remain o- as open to as many things as influences mm. as possible. I'm, I'm quite I'm quite a curious person, which, oh, and, and, and irritating, <laughs> irritatingly curious. Curious. <laughs> one of these people who both wants to know a lot of things and knows a lot of things, you know. <laughs> but that was interesting because, like, at that point, then when when the music was starting to tail off a little bit, and well, it, like it was in one way, it was the music business was changing, but you were changing <laughs> as well, right? Because you're one of these persons, one of these people who. Once it's done and you're done with it, you go, oh, yeah. okay, what's next? Okay. Yeah. I've done a bunch of hit singles. You won Grammys as well over here. Yeah, it was the, uh, my label we released. I, I can't believe I talked to a Grammy without and he refuses to speak <laughs> into the fucking microphone. Yeah, okay. There, well, actually, we won, um, I won with uh, two friends because we ran this group called The Good People. It was two Swedish friends of mine, producers, Franz and David. Um, Re- David Giesa and Franz Kalkrist. Re- they still work. They're still friends of mine. They still work in um, in music. Uh, very talented people. And we ran a club called The Good People, and we released compilations and of unknown artists, Swedish artists. And uh, we won uh, the DN Prize for Music, two thousand. I think it's the year two thousand or two thousand one. Yeah. So we got the Dog and Snyhert Prize, which is, I guess, for the Irish people, would be the Irish Times yeah, yeah. Choice Music or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And then DK7 won, we won this independent Grammy Award mm-hmm. uh, for electronic music. And my label, our label that I had with Franz and David, we won a, uh, one of our artists. We released an album that won a Grammy as well. So, yeah. So, <laughs> it's what the, the, the independent Grammy is funny is it's still somewhere in a, in a bag in some... <laughs> 
in some friend's apartment somewhere. I don't know where it is. I, ne- I, I remember I didn't turn. I couldn't go to what to accept it because Man United were playing Juventus the same <laughs> night in the Champions League, and they said, "Look, you gotta go." I said, "Nah, I don't know if I'm gonna win anyway. It doesn't matter." No, no, you should turn up. Yeah. And then I, then was Franz was there, and he he called me. He goes, "Look, just so you know, I've collected it for you." And I was like, "Okay, all right, where are you? I'm in a bar watching United Juventus," and it's not that. It's not a disrespect. It's just that I. It's what you value. I don't. I never valued these prizes that much. It was the, the thrill was the creation of the music, sitting yeah. in the studio, and that's what is. And the thrill, you know, it's like playing football. The thrill is playing the game, yeah. being in the game. This guy's better than me. How am I going to make sure he doesn't score? How am I going to yeah. so- solve this? You know, and it's these things that that's what's important for me. It wasn't the. In so a way, the, process, the result the results, wasn't yeah. the, the the big thing either. It's great to win, and it's mm. great, and it's great to have this acknowledgement, but. It wasn't something that drove me. Mm. It was. I had a more of an inner drive to be creative, I guess. But so anyway, I'm. I'm <laughs> I was started to coach. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to help in 2003 or four. Help a young 2003 a young team. There were 15, 16 year olds, and I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be the assistant coach." Two weeks later, he jumped off and left me with them, and I said, "Oh, what do I do?" Mm. So I started going on coach education courses really good and um, this is just a local football team of young players yeah Reimersholm it was mm. and uh, so I played with Longholman coached at Reimersholm and then just basically still was doing music decided you know on my spare time educating doing the coaching badges which I, I ended up getting my UA for A in 2013 I think mm. so yeah so this was all kind of happening and I guess in many ways the feeling of being of being more inquisitive and creative was coming through sport and football Mm. I got very curious and inquisitive why how do you learn and how do people learn skills and what how do you coach how do you but was that deliberate mark that you know okay I'm done with music I've 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 done music I never thought I was done with music I I still don't think I am but Mm. um, I do remember we're DK7 headlining the dance tent in Ross Kilde Festival, wondering if I had booked the laundry. <laughs> but the best thing was direct uh, before we went on stage. England and Portugal went to penalties, and I didn't want to go on stage at the penalties <laughs> in the World Cup. Do you remember that? I'll be right yeah, with you, lads. Yeah, I'll be right with you. And we had an interview the following day for Argentinian TV. Oh God. I was like, I, oh, poor Jesper, who was my partner in this thing, oh, he must have thought I was a right idiot. Yeah. And I was the interviewer, said, they started speaking to me about electronic music and last night's performance and blah. And I said, hang on, I have a question for you. You're playing Germany, you're one nil up, <laughs> there's 20 minutes left, Peckerman takes off for a Kilma, which frees up Balik, and the Germans take over and win. What were you thinking? What happened <laughs> and, and, and then. Jesper's kind of going, maybe you should start really thinking about what you're doing. Yeah, you need to get your priorities straight. Yeah, so I guess in a way that kind of was kind of a period of, of reflection, reflection, transition, whatever. But it was just natural. Nothing was meant. I'm mm. I'm brutally bad at this at meaning to do stuff yeah that whole sort of long term planning thing is not really your gig is it uh, no, no no I don't uh, think so I mean, like, you know, not, yeah well. it's got it's 
positives and negatives but you kind of also I try to really enjoy what I do and of course this costs you as well in many ways as well mm. you know you try to really get into it and do your best and, and where does this take me what's this about how mm. do people learn skills how, how do I make music with this machine because mm. this is all I have what can I do it's like these constraints that even though you're kind of constrained in some way you're at your most creative because mm. you, do, you have a limited amount of uh, opportunities to do stuff yeah but you can be so creative within, within them. that. Yeah. yeah. And that, that sort of underpins an awful lot because you were working with Amish Holm, you've worked with a variety of football clubs and associations in Sweden and around the world. You've presented your ideas about player development and soccer development at Espanyol, at Barcelona, for the Canadian FA, the Australian FA. Mm-hmm. What was the realisation? Because you grew up, as many of us did in the Ireland, that was, okay, here, go do that, do that thing, and you're the centre-back and that's all you do. What changed in your approach to the game? Well, it's hard to know what changed, but I've just finished a, PH- I've just finished a PhD in, um, in, in basically football learning and development and skills and how kids learn or players learn skills how do they do that yeah. because this is where it gets uh, the, the thing is it's far more complex than that you know it's, you have it's, 30 seconds uh, <laughs> uh, the ongoing individual's interaction with an environment over time that's, that's a pretty good summation right uh, no but, but, but like the thing is there's, I have to get back to this so as I was writing my PhD and it's really interesting this question so I was doing the prologue to the PhD and one day I sat down and wrote something and my father passed away in January mm. and then it all like it just came out like that I remember at seven playing cowboys and Indians in my back garden and my father walking out and what are you doing oh, I'm playing cowboys and Indians. I'm shooting those Indians I says why what are the bad guys father goes come here and starts you know telling a seven year old about things like bury my heart wounded knee and the history of the American and Indian and ever since then I've been an Indian which caused a lot of concern in the neighborhood amongst kids obviously and the thing is Phil as you know when you become an adult the cowboys you meet at kids are not exactly like the, those cowboys you meet as an adult <laughs> so I guess I've been this kind of wandering Indian Decentre. or something it's, it's a funny thing like during my PhD, it just hit me yeah you know that that's that has stayed with me all through through my my life not, my not accepting the sort of the narrative that's not sort of passed yeah. out. So and, hang and, on a second, even, question. and even when, hey, you know, this is going well. This is, I, I made this tune as good. Or I had a good session, some ideas. Why? Mm. What, made okay, what, what made that? What made it good? How can I work in it? Why is this good? And let's question it. This is also your most annoying trait, but I let that go. <laughs> yeah, and it's, but, but it's myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is you know, there's good and bad now. Yeah, it's good and bad, yeah. But when you look at, say, a standard soccer club, right, and yeah. the way things are approached, so say, you know, we've started the Stockholm Gales as a soccer yeah. section now, there's the lads in Gothenburg Celtic, I don't know if they've ever had young people playing the game down there. But what happens usually, in inverted commas, when you get a bunch of kids together? And what do you think should happen when they're brought together? Okay, well, one, one thing I've realised through uh, time, because the, the, the traditional way of coaching is very reductionist. I'm the coach, I'm going to teach you how to, how to do stuff, because I have all the knowledge. I show you And do. I'll show you, and you do, and this is how you do it. And It's very reductionist. Break down the skill. You need to learn the skills before you play the game. And all this is just basically nonsense. But it fits a certain paradigm. You know, it fits in with... There's a whole history of... Like, it fits in with the, let's say, the Taylorism of the Industrial Revolution of, you know, you have a conveyor belt and everyone has an individual task and you just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. So everyone says, oh, repetition is learning. No, it's not. Mm. 
repetition without repetition is learning. So this is the thing. So repetition is just repetition. This repetition is just no repetition. End value in itself yeah, I mean, just because you can do something, repeat a skill in, or a technique in isolation, but the game is complex. It's dynamic. Mm. Things are happening. The information is constantly changing. So how can you work with kids where they get to repeat different passes and dribbles without repeating them in the exact same way with slightly different information mm. all the time? Now, if you do too much, it's chaos. Yeah. But so this is constraints again. How can you constrain it? So I, I went on this, and really, it's part of my PhD. I examine the coach education in Sweden until 2014, where they did make some really positive changes towards more. I guess they call it game-based learning, mm. but still, the issue is you still have the old socio-cultural resilient beliefs. I'm the teacher. You learn from me. Mm. When really. I look at it as I work with kids, they play football, I observe, I watch, okay, this is where they're at, this is how they think. So, And then you, I take a more co-design approach. I start where they are at, not where I want them to be. Mm. And then we evolve from there. Because like, I hear coaches say, oh, you know, they, you have to be good with both feet. Why do you have to be good with yeah. both feet? Maradona could not yeah. even Maradona could just right stand foot. on his right foot. Yeah. Same with Messi. Why? We don't know if that's necessarily true. Maybe it is very good for some players, mm. but it's, it's not a universal truth. So I wanted to move skill acquisition away from universal truths. There's only, this is the right way to do it. One size fits all. Remove from that and bring it in the fact that we're individuals, we're humans, we're complex systems. We're not complicated, we're complex. Mm. A complicated system is like the space shuttle that blew up because one washer didn't, didn't do his, didn't job, do his job and the whole thing blew up. We, we're, we are not me mechanical systems. We are biological systems. We develop at different rates. We are complex adaptive systems. And I wanted to take this approach to skill learning and uh, to, to performance. And if you look at the modern approaches now to even match analysis that they use in the clubs, it is based on complex systems. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I would say e easy that like skill learning with children happens in development it's not and learning and it's learning in development yeah. now it learning happens in the midst of all these developmental changes that play take place at different time scales so you would have the biological Puberty your muscles yeah. your bones as you grow you have going from five aside to seven aside to nine aside then you've so sociocultural changes mm -hmm. and the cultural changes the societal changes so this uh, changes the school. So learning happens amidst of all these changes, and learning is what the individual does it's by not adapting in, it's to not all these. It's not independent. It's not independent. Yes. Like, yeah. So the old way was separating things. I'm trying to say, actually, you know, pull them all back in. Yeah, it's everything in the system influences each other. Yeah. Nothing really determines. Hmm. I did um, a research paper on a great Russian ice hockey called Pavel Datschuk, and then I spoke at the World 2018 Ice Hockey Conference on skill, and. This guy has a weird way of playing, you know, it's really unusual way of playing ice hockey. Even me, I, I never much much ice hockey, but I could see it. And they were all, I was over there and uh, it was like, learn to play like Pavel, one-on-one -on -one coaching. You too can play like Pavel's. Yeah. So then I was like very, so I got in touch with his coach, managed to get in touch with Pavel. I convinced him we're going to, we, did, we, we actually published a research paper based mm. on speaking with him about his childhood and skills and development and what the most interesting thing about what really helped shape not determine helped shape how he played was that 
when he was a kid, if you broke a stick, because it was a poor society he grew mm. up in, in the old Soviet Union, you could be waiting a month before you get a new stick. Mm. He learned to play ice hockey, protecting the stick and the puck, holding it closer and never doing slap shots, you know, swinging. Yeah. So his style was almost like Lionel Messi on ice. Yeah. So when, when he turned up in the NHL, nobody could read him how he played. Yeah. And he still says, to, he said, we were just like kids in Brazil with Jinga, this dancey sway thing yeah. of playing. So that he actually said this. This is it was just I wanted to protect the stick, yeah. and my skill emerged from that. I guess I was at uh, when I was at the Tokyo Olympics last year, and they sent me to cover surfing like two weeks before. They went, oh by the way, you're covering surfing. I don't know anything about surfing, but the guy who won the gold medal was from Brazil, and I've been to a town quite close to where he's from, and he learned to surf on the lid of a cooler box. Yeah, right? yeah. And the guy has out of all the professional surfers in the world. This guy can deal with anything because his balance is so incredible from the time he was. And then he learned to surf on, you know, he'd get a board off his cousin or some tourist would leave him. So there was never one. So by the time he got a board that was tailored to him, yeah. he was the master of the ocean. And the very first time that surfing is at the Olympics, who walks away with the gold medal? Him. The yeah, guy who's on You know, there's a great thing you should check on uh, YouTube. I'll send it to you. It's Ringo Starr and the Elvis Costello show in the late 90s. And his style, they call it the backbeat because yeah. the second beat in every bar was slightly delayed and you had all these drummers copying Ringo but they were infinitely let's say better musicians yeah. but they couldn't get his feel yeah. and so he was explaining well the thing is I'm actually a right handed drummer or left handed drummer that learned to play in a right handed kit and nobody yeah. told me so his roles are all backwards and everything but thank god nobody told him <laughs> you know because his style emerged under those constraints and this says a lot to me about learning you know if you watch the uh, was it the, the riots in Paris years ago the yellow jackets the police turned up with gas canisters and threw it at them the next day they all turned up with tennis rackets and hit them back <laughs> now that's skillful behaviour that's adapting to the environment none of them are tennis players but you know like this one the solution for this moment um, was the Fosbury flop yeah. was because they put a mattress there yeah. for the first time ever and this guy figured hang on a minute I can jump up here and it doesn't matter how I fall if I land on my back it doesn't matter and everyone yeah. else was concerned about how they landed he didn't care how he landed yeah. and he won the gold and then everyone copied him and we went back to being number 50 in the world Yeah, so, and, but he also changed the entire sport forever because now everybody still jumps in the same way and it's just exactly the yeah, and, yeah, and he, changed, he changed the sport but at the time it was very negative because mm. it was oh, he, but he didn't he figured out it doesn't matter how I land nobody mm. else all the best athletes in the world and coaches in the world did not figure out that it doesn't matter anymore anymore how you land you just gotta get it's over a mattress the bar. you just got to get over the bar yeah. so this is what interests me you know yeah. where and very much and now like I work I'm head of youth development at AIK in the 8 to 12 section mm -hmm. and I helped set up Scandinavia's first research and development department in a professional football club mm -hmm. so we're working with a lot of these principles with the young players mm -hmm. but we're very lucky because AIK made a, a really smart move they removed their early selection they used to select kids at 8 you know Leak a barn, leak a best. Let's yeah. get the best with the best as early as possible because that's what you're supposed to do. And they remove this and they don't have an academy team at 13. And the idea is we're trying to keep as many as possible, as, as good as possible, as long as possible. Mm. Explain this thing to me about learning styles, right? Some people say, oh, I'm a visual learner, oh, I'm an active learner, oh, I'm a cerebral learner, I'm a Pseudoscience bullshit. That's all it is. Yeah, 35 years of science has told us that this is pseudoscience bullshit. Okay, so anybody who comes to you go, oh, you know, this wasn't taught to me the right way, that's just, yeah. Learning depends on what you are learning. So this goes You don't learn to play football visually by 
by watching it or that kind of thing? No, you, you learn by playing it. Just because otherwise you and I can spend the rest of our lives watching football and say, look, we're brilliant footballers. Yeah. We're not. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's like watching the Grand National 50. You must be a great now. surfer after watching oh, that. Oh, fucking tremendous. I've seen the land on the lid of the bin or whatever. You know? No, learning styles just... And it's really good because... Um, I, had, I ended up in a podcast years ago with Rieks and Drudge and they brought it up and I, and I said the same thing and they were like, what? Yeah. And now they've actually removed it from their... So that's gone. I think that's that gone completely. And it's good because it is actually probably quite dangerous because, mm. you know, it's like these per- disc personality tests. Yeah. I mean, that's just uber nonsense. Yeah. There's a great guy called Dave Snowden. He worked with IBM and he gives a great lecture and they had these disc personality tests. And he said, I'll tell you what, you do that. I'll do the same thing but using star signs. Yeah. And he says there was no difference in results. Well, that's he just wanted to show what nonsense this is. But, but this is a tick box thing from administrators. That so you can makes, put people yeah. into groups and go, yeah. okay, they learn this way it's, or they do that. It's, it's, it's made up by, I, th- I think the, the original Myers-Briggs thing is, ma- is made up by a mother and a daughter just... The yeah, they made a fortune out of it. Yeah, it's yeah. just made up. It's, yeah. it's just There's no, well, it's one of those things where you have a conclusion and then you go and find some sort of science that backs yeah, it but, up. But it's also it's like, you know, this thing that has, as my opinion, had the, one of the worst effects is it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become mm. an expert. That's absolute rubbish. Mm. And Mark, Malcolm Gladwell made a fortune in a book out of this, but thankfully he has now admitted that he's totally misinterpreted the 1993 paper that Ericsson published on expertise in sport but the problem here about expertise in sport and 10,000 arrows there's a film about Conor it's McGregor a that's like, it, it is a myth right but the problem is that when he said it the first time everybody goes that makes sense let's believe that but then when he actually goes uh, by the way boys and girls I got that right nobody actually hit, very few people maybe listening to this would have heard the fact that he went actually no that's horseshit no he did and he, he said it and it's really good of him I think but, it's but very how big how do you him. counteract that then because you're going to have you're going to have the president of the club you're going to have the, the A team coach you're going to have parents who want little Jimmy to be a professional footballer little Jenny to be a professional footballer pulling your sleeve going uh, Mark where did they get their 10,000 arrows okay. oh by the way their so learning how, style how is how I dealt with when somebody said to me it's like oh there's a uh, science says you know, show me the reference mm. and then they show me a book that's a book that's not uh, that's not the bible is not science <laughs> and neither is the book this this book this is pop science book you know yeah. this, and uh, the, this is ericsson's work he's a, he was a swedish researcher and mm. passed away i think last year or the year before and it's his 1993 and in, he wrote an actual article in the Guardian why journalists should never be allowed to report on science. I would fully agree. <laughs> yeah. So he he based on Gladwell's mm. book. So when you present this to them, it's like, oh, I didn't know this. But mm. people like to go for the quick solution, which well, is why it's, I, you it's know, easy to understand. It's, like it's easy. It makes sense. It sounds yeah. great. It's sexy. Well, it, it also it gives you a framework to work within because when you talk about that thing of now this is one of these things where people listen to this podcast you and me talk about these things all day every day yeah. we talk about sport and development and conceptualising and this mm-hmm. kind of thing and I talk to you about martial arts and you, we both talk about football and we talk about and like you mentioned creativity so many times already and the purpose that I think we both have is to make people get more out of these things that they have to make them the best mm-hmm. footballer or musician mm-hmm. or graffiti artist or whatever the hell it is well yeah is it really? I mean, what, what what is interesting is that a lot of the systems we work in are based on survivorship bias. Yeah, exactly. We, so we, you we look, got through it, so therefore you did yeah, it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look at this guy. They, they produced, first of all, produced is the wrong word. That's also an, an issue. Um, 
language precedes culture. Let's remove the word production. That's a Tayloristic industrial revolution word. Mm. We don't produce. We we are part of a development process mm. of of humans. It's an organic. Thing. It's, it's a more of an organic thing. So, like, oh, they produced this player because they ate two bananas a day and they did this training. You know, mm. it's like, you know, it, just pick random. It, facts yeah, and, and then then so somebody said, oh, this they did this type of training and they produ- this player produced. Okay, and then you just look, open up a telephone book. Here's thousands of people that did the exact same thing and didn't. Yeah. So this idea of survivorship bias is, is an interesting one. It comes from um, the Second World War, and I think it's when the British were bombing, doing bombing raids in Germany. Say twenty planes had come out and ten had come back, and so some guy was saying, "Yeah, see where all those bullet holes are. We need to make that area stronger." And then they kept losing the same amount of planes. And some guy said, "Hang on a minute. Why are you, in, why are you reinforcing the areas where the bullet holes are?" Yeah. You're only looking at the survivors. Reinforce the areas where the bullet holes are not. Mm. That's the thing, yeah, because, because they, they're the ones that not coming back. They're the so, ones that went down, yeah. and that's what we look at. We, we look, we like to look at survivors of systems, mm. and make our judgments based on that. Well, I think every story we ever tell ourselves is that hero's journey, and you go, it okay, is, yeah. what did he, what did he or she do to succeed? Yeah. But yeah. that doesn't make it the only answer. So, we we'll take like a player like Leo Messi, take a Robbie Keane. You know, always when their story is told, it's the adversity, and Messi had to have injections because of hormones and this kind of thing. Mm. Robbie Keane played so much in South County Dublin, yeah. that kind of thing. He was going to be an obvious thing. Well, you have to play a lot of football, of course. That, that's true. So that, that was the next question, right? So I'm thinking of Emmett McLone out there in the south side of town. Now has three sons. Emmett himself is a brilliant footballer, and now he started coaching his local club. Uh, many of the people here who are parents will be, oh, you know, can you take the girls' team this year? Can you look after something? Yeah. What should they bring with them to the sideline if they want to do this thing that you just mentioned of as many as possible, playing as well as possible? As, as, as many as possible. As, as many as possible, as long as possible, in as good an environment as possible. Yeah. I mean, and what create I, I think, look, you're working with children. I, I was um, lecturing in the Norwegian um, Sports Institute there in October. And uh, one of them was actually an Olympic skier, and he's and he said, "Mark, my seven-year-old daughter is beginning football, and I'm coaching. What advice would you give me?" He says, "Never, never forget she probably believes in Santa Claus." <laughs> you know, and really, that is a starting point. You know, yeah. we we actually have people selecting seven-year-olds in Sweden for academy teams, and they believe in Santa Claus. The kids, you know, so I would say, do everything you can to to help develop relationships with the kid kids help them develop relationships with each other and start to help them to develop feelings of autonomy and you know that that let get them involved in the training oh we did this last week did you enjoy it yes good yes should we do it again or how do you think we could extend on this get them involved as much as possible and try to inspire them to play football or whatever sport it is away from your practice Mm. because that's really what it's about it's this love and intrinsic motivation to go off and go oh, I'm going to bring myself and we'll go to the back garden or onto the street or up to the local pitch and kick a ball around that's what, often that's create what, their own rules yeah, or they create their, exactly, okay, try no and get that but really just try and do your best to create a safe learning environment where almost safe safe to fail, fail, mm. fail better yeah. <laughs> you know and th- that's really really important and if the kids are coming back next week and the week after, and the week after, you're doing a really good job. Mm. Because as you know, participation in many youth sports all around the world is dropping. Despite the fact we have way more administrators than ever working in youth sports, we have participation rates dropping. If the kids keep coming back, you're doing a good job. 
when somebody looks at say you're putting on a training session now for AIK this evening so mm-hmm. in Solon or something like that a lot of people would see what you're doing and you don't shout you very no. seldom use a whistle we don't kid. actually I we don't allow whistles in the 8th to 12th there's no whistles allowed why is because that? that's a control mechanism it's behaviourism Pavlov's dogs okay but you know create relationships with the kids relationships of trust so when you have this gathering Sam Link at the start they understand hey yeah we're going to get together we're going to ask each other how we are and we're going to play football within two minutes but how do you sort of attract their attention then because like an awful lot of the things that we do the use of whistles is okay I blow that now everybody knows it is a Pavlovian response right? yeah. or the first whistle goes well then Mark wants us all to come over um, I have seen coaches who insist on complete silence as kids are sort of you know with one finger up their nose and the other yeah, you're not going to get that but what you do is give them the opportunity to regulate so if I have with 8 year olds and same with 12 year olds call them in and I sit down at their height and I wait until they're ready and eventually and they'll just come to you. One minute, five minutes, seven minutes. But they figure out after a while, hang on a minute. And they start regulating each other. I don't tell them to be quiet. They start telling each you know. And then the, the idea is you develop this culture of, hey, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Mark? I'm good. Yeah, and today we have John, Anne, mm-hmm. Matt's training with us. You know, it's really good. Lovely day. All right, we're going to work with this today. Try and do these these ideas work with it today. Let's see if we can go out there and make each other better, and then work from there. And they know then that they are going to be playing football within one minute or two minutes. But it's very important we say hello to each other and ask each other how we are. A lot of people go online. Like YouTube is full of. There was a thing made by a Dutch guy years ago called covert coaching, which is like you say isolated yeah. skills between a couple of cones and that kind of thing. If you want to teach my kid how to shoot the football how to mm-hmm. score goals and you talk about things like constraints based learning where you decide one or two of those how would you go about and again I'm using inverted commas here teaching them that skill I actually helped uh, somebody recently here they're just, their kid and I said well go and goal then watch your you know and I went and goal and I said well, just help your kid shoot there and he was sh- he was focusing on the kid mm-hmm. so I stood by the post like this yeah. the kid was still kicking the ball towards me yeah you know, <laughs> he thought he was playing football. With uh, uh, you, uh, so the focus of attention was here, mm. and if you have your, if the focus of attention is on your body, and this is research, if the focus is internal, it can create issues. Mm. The focus should be externally on the information. So right, where is Mark standing? Where should you put the ball? Mm. And where's the ball right now? Yeah, well, you have the ball there. Where's Mark standing? He's a bit to the right. Where's where's the bigger gap to shoot? Yeah, the, his le- the left. So. Try and get as much as possible an external focus, mm. of, and, you, and and to to aim at left there, and then then you make challenges to them. Mm. After a while, once they start doing things, that you can start hitting challenges. Can you, you know, uh, can, can can you can you can you put it as high to the left or low to the left or to the right? So, I I work very much from that an external focus of attention. And would you ever get into this thing of okay, your standing foot has to be planted X centimeters from the ball, toes slightly behind? Have you seen David Beckham take free kicks? <laughs> you know, his I don't know. It looks like he's about to fall apart, and his legs his about to snap in two, and arms everywhere. And yeah. then Ronaldo, everyone says you need to get under the ball and lean back. And Ronaldo suddenly kicking down on top of the ball, and it's going up and over. And 
No, it's very much, again, we are complex systems. We are individual. How we kick a ball. Moritz Fitzgerald carried that point mm. against Dublin. The, the outside stand. of the foot from the right, uh, left foot, isn't it? Uh, no, it was a right foot. Yeah, right yeah. foot, outside from the right side. Who, like, you know, that, would you, you know, nobody would ever teach a kid to kick a sideline like that. For nothing but <laughs> it emerged from him probably from various other reasons, in, yeah. you know, in his environment as a child. So be very careful. Yeah. You know, basically, the body doesn't really want to do what somebody tells them to do. Yeah, it's a fascinating one because, like, again, we get back to you know the, the joy that we have got at playing sport and yeah. the sport. Can the same things be applied then? Because I know one of the things we didn't really touch on yet was when you were working with young people at various youth clubs. You had yeah, times yeah. as um, f- not fleeties later, but like I said, youth working. In. Can the same things be applied to, to music, to art, to writing, to podcasting? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, it's under constraints. Um, you know, we spoke about Ringo Starr. Like, you know, in 1983, in a studio in Detroit, DJ Pierre found a 303, which was basically Roland's invention for a bass station for guitar players to do guitar solos along to. Mm. And it, guitarists hated it. So they were basically going bankrupt. Then he found it, started messing with the filters, put an 808 drum underneath it, and invented Acid House. And within two months, you were paying $3,000 for that machine instead of $20. That almost bankrupted the company. Yeah. And that's just somebody discovered. And there's somebody, like, I think it's called exaption, when something's invented for one thing and it's become something else. But there you have this creativity under constraints. The MPC 2000, which I used, has a bug in it. And they were going to fix it. And all these early rap, hip-hop producers like Dr. Trey were going, no. Leave don't right fix there. it that, that's the swing that's the feel we want that if you fix that we won't use it yeah. it's amazing. so there's loads lo- you, you we can apply it you know I think if you look, if you look at there's um, I think it's in some museum in the USA there's a film of Picasso doing sketches for Guernica mm. and he's just sketching ripping up sketching fail failing and just experimenting with shapes and things yeah. it's phenomenal to see mm. and look what look at Guernica emerges from this. From it's, not, it's not a planned process. No. It just it's an there. ongoing um, wayfinding, you could say. Yeah. So, so you, and again, I know the answer to this almost before I even say it. You don't believe that any creative process or any development process can be linear, right? It's not a straight line from the start. We're normal, not linear species. We're biological species, which is funny when, so look at that, often the, if you look at the, oh, this 15, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's biologically 17 or 18 and there's another kid there he's 15 biologically 12 mm. the linear the linearity of our de- is it's so non-linearity human development is so non-linear mm. yet the systems we have are linear. linear yeah so within within um a chronological age group mm. you can have three or four day years differences between kids yeah. biologically and kids who hit puberty at 12 and then those yeah. 15 or 16 and then yeah and you see it in rugby you see it everywhere so this is yeah, I mean, all development is non-linear. This yeah. and learning, <laughs> learning is not learning in development. It's just totally non-linear. So, so again, like I wish it was linear. It'd be easier. I'd make more money. <laughs> <laughs> just go, go do this, and then you'll be fine. Yeah. But that's the thing that we all long for. But it's actually not the way it is. And I'm conscious of the fact that we're speaking at the start of August. Right, it's back to school time. The reason I'm speaking to you is because people are going to be taken out of soccer team for the first time, or they're going to be asked to yeah. get involved in hockey or that kind of thing. Um, in terms of those things, how much do we have to change? Because we went through a sort of schooling, you know, with the Christian brothers yeah. or the nuns or something that was completely different. How easy was it for you to 
put those things to one side to go you know what as you two once said in that one of their tours everything you know is wrong you know is that an easy thing to admit to yourself it's very tough like because you're, it's challenging your worldview and as you're going on this journey you're challenging other people's worldviews but the really good thing is there's loads of people around the world work like I do at the top level mm. at the highest level uh, you know I know Tony Strudwick who's now the head of performance with the Welsh national team worked with Fergus Alex Fergus for 11 years head of performance Ronaldo Scolds gigs all those mm. he works in a very non-linear way it's you know because he's working with so many different individuals mm. you can't train Paul Scholes the same way as you work with Ronaldo you can't they're yeah. completely different species they're speaking different languages yeah so uh, so yeah I mean you know this is it, it is it, it's a fantastic journey and it's only something that I'm just still going on and evolving and I love it and that's it's 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 a pleasure to work with it it's it's, it's a far richer way of looking at life and humans pisses people off too because you, <laughs> you know I, you know, you like your linear, simple. Here's yeah. the answer. That's it. Yeah. You know, Please we, don't we tell like this. this. Work. Yeah. Oh, how do you measure this? Who cares? You know, oh, we like at AIK, we have 300 more kids participating in football now than 2017. And is that all that matters to you? Is that the only statistic? Well, that ma- no, that doesn't matter to me. The reason is it doesn't matter. Is I want to know why. I want to know why some kids probably left. Why some? Why more people came? Is there a new? Building uh, was there a new bus that's unloaded? A new, you know, a new, yeah, a new apartment, new block, apartment or block somewhere yeah. nearby where thousands of kids moved in. Mm. You know, we don't know. There, you know, we we have to look at the complexity of it. Even though it's great, it looked, the, the number looks good, but I want to know why. Where does this all end up, Mark? Is it going to end up in you producing players who play for Ireland or Sweden? Or is producing? It to, yeah, well, exactly. Where is it going to end up? In <laughs> you I, I work with players music? that are play internationally yeah, at the top level, so that's you know. But I mean, like, you know, what's your ultimate goal in all this? What do you want your legacy in all of these things, both music and sport, to be? I wouldn't say, am I looking for a legacy? No. I mean, I don't think there's any legacy. It's just a pleasure to get the opportunity to create, you know, if, if you're a kid, you know, and you're, you're, you know, what do you want to do? Is this, I, want to, I want to be, I want to work with football and music. You've done them, like, you know, I... <laughs> I'm doing it. I've released records. I've produced, like, I've been more, like, you know... Bizarre things happen, you know, like Morton Harkett's autobiography because I produce records with him. I'm in, tr- there's a couple of pages where, you know, know. Have, yeah. yeah, yeah, so I'm in that as well, you know, it's so funny, you know, because they, they got in touch with me a few years back up the, the author and the biography. And, you know, it's just like, I never, you know, I don't think of these things, you know, but it, it's great because they're friendships, they're lovely people you meet, they're, that's you, the, the music thing. Somebody asked me again recently, what was the high point of the whole music? And I said, have you seen all the Almodovar films? And yeah, remember all those transsexuals and transvestite in the films? I used to hang out with them. They used to come to a load of our gigs <laughs> at festivals, dressed as like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert stuff. Yeah. They were the greatest. And I played in their club in Madrid. Yeah. It was one of the best nights, you know? It's like me, like Irish heterosexual male among all this. Fantastic. What an experience. Lovely people. You wouldn't you know? have imagined that when you're getting lifted over the tour and sounds of Cork and No, 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 but like, again, they're the things you remember. Yeah. And legacy is probably more the memories you have yourself. Yeah. You know, there's, there's many a man went, or woman went to their deathbed with a, with a great legacy, but very unhappy. Yeah. You want to have these, God, lovely people, you know, that you've met. The double bass player in the Buena Vista Social Club, Kachita Lopez, discussing discussing music with him you know get that what a, what a fantastic you know memory 
listening to Morton Harkett sing a track you wrote. You know, he's an amazing voice. Uh, ending up in a seven-a-side in Brazil with Romario by complete accident. Because I met a guy who's friends with the chief of police. <laughs> Randomly, he dragged me there. What plan on a Tuesday yeah, do you want to come Yeah, along? so stuff like that. It's like, they're the, they're the things. And then having kids, being at the birth of your three children, that's it. You know, that's where, that's the top. That's the top, and the other stuff then is kind of cool. <laughs> I think there's a few more tops yet to come, but for now, because I know there's a few things there on the pipeline that we're going to have to discuss at a later date, but Marco Sullivan, thanks very much for oh, talking to thank me. Thank you, thank you very much. Mark O'Sullivan there. The first track I heard in that interview, just as you mentioned it there, was Smokescreen by The Mighty Quark. Jeez, I hope Spotify doesn't kick me ass for uh, robbing little snippets of this to drop in there. So that was um, what Mark, what got Mark started really in the music business and uh, as he mentioned there, led to that remix of Left Field, which really got him going. Then there was DK7, Where's the Fun? I suspect that that was Mark himself singing on that particular track. That was a big hit for him back in the day, in the early 2000s, one of a string of hits that he had around that time. And then at the end, Bakuzi from the album Flower Lodge, and he is indeed uh, on the, the cover of that album in his Cork Cabernet's kit at the age of about seven. Uh, and that was called Sunday's Child. There's a lovely sort of chill out vibe to that. I'm sure you'll remember if you're as old as me, you know, being on your holidays in Ibiza or in Greece or something like that. Jesus, you might have even heard it this summer, lads. Um, and hearing tunes like that, you know, as you were going for your breakfast uh, on a Sunday morning somewhere. Yeah, but that was uh, Mark O'Sullivan there. And if you have a chance, get in touch with him, have a drink with him, have a chat with him about uh, all the things we talked about. Especially when it comes to, I always find it uh, fascinating when he talks about coaching kids and that kind of thing. And the idea of this, you know, you'll hear the Swedish expression, ordning or yeah, that, you know, that everything has to be sort of, you know, uh, there has to be an order to everything. And he's got that. Ah, they just let it sort it out itself it becomes a sort of a self-governing mechanism you know so fascinating bloke and he's done all these things and he's produced great players and he's produced great music and i think he produced a halfway decent podcast for us this week and if you like the sound of that right um it was a little bit different i have to say thanks to everybody who contributes to this podcast on patreon and all the contributors on the Arrowman and Stockholm podcast feed, right? Because I went off during the summer and the money that they contributed to this podcast via Patreon, I went off and I spent it. So you'll remember when I spoke to Alan McCahey and maybe when I spoke to, I think, Marjorie Sons from there as well, we had a few problems with the audio, which I was sitting here moaning about. But I went out and I bought some new gadgets, uh, a couple of new microphones and a new recorder, and those things have disappeared. Now, I'm still not quite... That was the first interview that I've done with them. And needless to say, right, typical middle-aged man, Right. I just went and pulled him out of the box with how hard could this be? So I set the things up and, you know, was doing things on the fly and twiddling knobs and everything. Else. I was talking to Mark. I should have done it beforehand, but I didn't. Uh, and I do think that the sound quality improved immeasurably. And that is solely down to the good people who contribute to this podcast, such as the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden, such as my good friend Martin Hessian there at Veerstrom's Pub in Gamla Stan, and all the people who contribute on Patreon. So it's patreon.com forward slash our man in Stockholm. Pay yourselves a visit to Veerstrom's now because the 
Premier League season has kicked off by the time you're listening to this. So if you're a fan of Liverpool or Manchester United or Arsenal or Brentford or whoever it happens to be, get down there, have a word with Martin staff. I'm sure they'll find a screen somewhere that they can put the game on for you. Uh, in, in the autumn now, you're going to get the rugby test coming up. So there's plenty on there to watch. The All-Ireland, unfortunately, is over in both hurling and football. But there's plenty of uh, club football and club hurling to be on there. And uh, Martin and the staff are always more than happy to accommodate everybody. And we will be doing another couple of podcasts from the perspective of the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden. If you're listening over the summer, you will have heard the one we did with Owen O'Connor. And if you haven't been able to catch up, if you've been on the beach and go, look, and I'm not listening to weekly podcasts or anything like that, go back and have a listen to that one. Because Owen's a lovely bloke who moved to London, was here for a couple of years, but he was able to give a very unique perspective and a perspective that will appeal both to those of us who've been living here for a long time but also to young people who are maybe coming over here and starting an Erasmus here in college, for instance, or maybe starting an internship with one of the state agencies or maybe working at the embassy and that. So worth listening to that, worth uh, getting your head around a few of the things that he brought up there. Um, that's about it for this week. There will be another podcast. Uh, the schools will be back next week, so we'll see what we do. This is the Gaelic football. Don't forget to get in touch if you can do the steward at Midnight Sluppeth with me here in Stockholm. And uh, that's about it. We're almost back to business now if you're enjoying the last week of your holidays go ahead get that done but then we get back down to business for another season of the irish in sweden podcast my name is philip o'connor be careful out there take care of yourselves take care of one another and we'll drop another one of these bad boys at seven o'clock next monday morning good luck